Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dragons Cast in maybe the most eventful week of the year. We've got the Men's CA Championship actually playing live as we record on this special whatever night of the week, Tuesday night edition that we've got. And um, we have the Women's uh, CA Tournament kicking off this weekend. Um, I was really encouraged by the number of folks who were able to make it down to D.C. It was felt like we grew throughout the weekend. I was worried at first. It felt very small. And then people started showing up left and right. Um, I'm not saying everybody's got to fly in from London, Marshall, but it was good to uh, good to see some folks come down. And I hope um, the ladies get that support in Towson and more because uh, when you look at um, what this program has done over the last few years, the last couple of decades, but specifically these last five years where, where some of these current students have been on the roster, it's really hard to imagine them being able to do more. They've, they've been pretty awesome for a long period of time. Um, I've been told fans will show up when we win, and it's time to reward that that winning. So that's my pep talk for this weekend. I'm really excited about uh, this women's tournament and to see where these ladies can go. So we're going to look forward to that tournament rather than looking back at the men's tournament. We will at some point talk about the men and the if stands in the offseason. It'll be a busy one. Um, but this week is about looking in front and looking at a special team um, poised to make a run. So we have with us tonight Anthony D'Angelo. How's it going? All right. Bill Torres joining us uh, for this time. I appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. And um, special guest, Jillian Dunstan, the assistant coach for the women's program. Hi, Jillian. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I'm going to let Anthony turn over the honors to Anthony, and, and hopefully you can guys through. But we'd love to hear about a little bit of your uh, your backstory here, Jillian, uh, uh, kind of what got you involved in basketball and uh, and brought you into your collegiate career. Yeah, so I guess let's just start there, uh, Jillian. Uh, you know, if you could just tell us about, uh, you know, kind of your pre-college days, uh, growing up, getting into basketball, things like that. Yeah, so um, I have two older sisters. I'm from Maryland, um, and my dad coached my oldest sister's AAU team um, from when she was a kid and up. So I kind of just fell into the whole sports thing, um, and then just from then on, I stuck with it. Uh, played it at in high school at the Academy of the Holy Cross. I played basketball and soccer. Um, once I committed to Michigan, I stopped playing soccer and then ended up at Michigan and so on and so forth. And now I'm at Drexel. And it was quite a career at Michigan. Uh, you were very distinguished. Uh, you know, just reading through the bio on the team website here, um, you you were you were a force, uh, especially. Uh, on the boards, I mean, led the Big Ten in assist to turnover ratio, rebound, defensive rebounds per game. Uh, you know, a lot of career highlights there. Um, I mean, anything particularly uh, in terms of biggest milestones, biggest moments from the the playing career at Michigan that you want to highlight? Um, yeah, for sure. I think um, finishing high on that rebounding list while I was there, I've been surpassed since. Um, it only lasted for so long, but I think um, it was just such a grind to get there. So that was that was pretty fun. And then winning the NIT my junior year um, was one of my memorable, more memorable games. And then when we got the bid my senior year to the NCAA tournament. So those are probably some of my favorite things from when I played. Yeah, winning the, the NIT is something that Drexel knows a little bit about, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely a very fun and, and memorable game. Uh, situation thing to go through. Um, what made you decide that, you know, I'm sure you could have pursued basketball at another level, uh, just based on, you know, looking at your numbers and things like that. I mean, what, what, 
led you to head right into coaching after you graduated? Yeah, I um, I just couldn't see myself doing it as a career. Um, I felt like with it being, I, I wouldn't call it a pastime in college. It is your life in college, but you know, we had school, we had this, and I felt like if it, if I did it as my career, it would consume my life, and I just had zero interest. And I also had zero interest in like working out every day <laughs> to get better. It's, like I don't mind working out every day, but if I have to elevate my game every time I'm working out for years. I don't, kudos to those people. It just couldn't be me. So, um, but I don't know. I just feel like that was my time to play basketball and it was just time for me to move on at that point. Um, so I really had no interest to play professionally and then my body was pretty beat up. So I don't really know how long of a professional career I would have had. Who knows, but it just wasn't, I just wasn't going for it at the time. And then I think after you graduated undergrad, you pursued some post-grad work at Florida State. Mm-hmm. and um, got in, dipped your toes into the coaching world a little bit over there. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't even – I went to Florida State um, with the intention to get my grad school paid for, not to go into coaching. And then I ended up learning under Sue Semrau and Brooke Wyckoff, and um, one of my Michigan assistants was actually over there with me at Florida State, and I was like, mm, coaching doesn't seem that bad. So um, once I was started learning from them and I was – I saw what it took in the background of everything. Um, I was like, I might want to try this. And and Michigan themselves have had a little bit of a resurgence in the last couple years. Um, you know, as kind of a casual observer, uh, I've heard uh, Kim Barnes Arico's name pop up uh, quite a bit. Um, anything that you learned or incorporated from her, wh- whether it was as a player or something you use now as a coach? Yeah, for sure. I think. Um, especially when I played, she just taught us like how to have the ultimate discipline. And, you know, like a few things really, like when you think you're working hard, you're really not. (laughs) So there's always another level you can reach. Um, And then just, I forgot the third thing already. It was literally in my head, but um, just, you know, integrity, like be great at what you do, work hard at what you do. Things take time. That was the third thing. Things take time. Like life is a process. It's not just basketball, but you know, you got to work your way through things. And, and if you do things the right way, you'll see results. So that kind of leads us to, uh, when the world turned in the spring of 2020, uh, lots of people were losing jobs. You were getting one. Uh, so did you have any prior relationship with coach Mallon? Did, did she know you from something or how did that all work out? Yeah. So they recruited me Um, When I was young, like my freshman and sophomore year of high school, Denise and Amy did. Um, Denise Dillon, for those who I should probably give full name. but um, And my dad was an AAU coach, so he kept the relationship with them the whole time. And I was still in grad school at Florida State at the time, but I saw Amy had gotten the job, so I congratulated her. She was like, thanks so much. And oddly enough, she had reached out to me when we won the championship my junior year. But I reached out to her, congratulated her. She was like, thanks so much. I'm going to be giving you a call. And um, it ended up being like a catch-up slash interview. And it worked out for the better. So I'm grateful for that. Anything in particular? I mean, was it a situation where you weren't necessarily looking for an assistant job and it kind of just, you fell into it? Or or were you kind of looking around, putting feelers out there? Yeah, I was. it was such a time in the unknown, like you said, when the world turned. So I didn't know... Nobody knew what to do. Like no one was telling me there was no advice. There was hiring freezes and firing freezes. So no one knew what was going to happen. So I was just trying my best to 
connect with people I knew and my dad was helping me. And so um, I, I was definitely looking for an assistant position, but at the time I just had no idea how to do it. And then recently uh, you were named to one of the WBCA's 30 under 30 uh, coaches to watch, uh, which had to be a pretty cool honor. Um, I was trying to do some digging in terms of looking at, you know, coaches that people might know that uh, had been previous honorees of it. Uh, I, I stopped doing that pretty quickly, but um, I mean, it's a really cool thing. I mean, uh, what can you tell us about, about that, hearing about it, how you got nominated, if you know? Yeah. I mean, um, the WBCA is a great organization. Um, and I think you just learn a lot from everyone involved in that. I know Sue Semra was, uh, I don't want to mistitle her, but I think she was the president of the WBCA at one point in time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is an amazing honor, especially when you're amongst so many people, so many mentors, so many, you know, people that guide you. So I was really happy when I got it. Um, and this year, fortunately, I had the opportunity because I got it last year to um, nominate and vote for people for the list this year. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. Uh, well, that's a little about you. I guess let's uh, flip it over and preview uh the big weekend ahead um i guess bill i'll maybe turn it over to you for a couple questions sure we're uh we're tournament starts tomorrow afternoon with the the first play in and then four games the next day following the men's schedule right so drexel's drexel's awaiting uh the winner of charleston and monmouth um so my first question was about just overall game planning um are are you when you and the other coaches are setting a game plan are you saying here's how we think we can impose our will on the other team and let them adjust to us or are you saying hey they've got a perceived advantage and here's how we're going to have to try to counteract that and or some combination thereof yeah definitely is a combo um i think at the end of the day people do have to guard our stuff too so we can't go away from that but there does we do have to make sure that um, our ladies have an understanding of concepts. Basically, that's that's practically the focus because essentially you're trying to prepare for four teams because you just don't know. You can't honestly. You think you know who's going to win, but then again, it's March, so you can never assume. So we prep concepts from each team. Um, so today we did four different plays from four different teams. Um, but then we do like our offense for 20 minutes or our break or our press break. So it definitely is a, is a combination of both because we can't neglect what we do either. That that kind of leads into what I was thinking with the next thing, Charleston and Monmouth are, is the matchup tomorrow with the winner moving on to play Drexel on Friday. So it's how do you, how do you adequately prepare for both teams and then you never want to look ahead, but obviously Drexel has bigger sights than Friday. So where do you draw the line between preparing for those two teams? How does that overlap? And then, hey, we think Northeastern and maybe Towson are in our future if if things go well. But like you said, there's so much parity in this conference, especially you can't really count on Towson or Northeastern being there on Saturday and Sunday. We um we definitely take it day by day. So the the primary focus right now is Charleston and Monmouth, and then 
um, like that next day. I guess the benefit of the tournament in general is that you've played these teams before. So it's not like you're throwing new plays at them. It's really just reminders. So, again, like you said, you don't have to look too far ahead, but you do want to be ready. So we'll throw like Towson concepts in when we're prepping for Charleston or we'll throw Stony Brook or Northeastern concepts in when we're prepping for Monmouth. So it definitely is a benefit though, that um, we have already played these teams before. Is there a specific um, role that you prepare for that, you know, is kind of assigned to, and I know the men break it up kind of offense, defense. I don't know what your staff does as far as breaking up various uh, preparation. So we do, um, we, we separate the scouts so I have Towson, Northeastern, Hampton, and North Carolina A&T. And then Stacy and Val each have their own. And Amy kind of, kind of oversees all of that. Um, and then within that, Stacy does offense, Val does offense, and Amy and I do defense. So there's concepts within that, but you definitely have a team to focus on so that you're so familiar with that that you can just suggest, hey, they run this, we should do this. So that's kind of how the breakdown of that goes. And she gave you Towson and A&T both just because she doesn't like you or – I'm assuming. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a haul. All right. Well, NCA and T makes sense when you, you see like the size and the rebounding advantage. They seem <laughs> to have. But then I think we out-rebounded them, right? But um, it, I think that's an interesting situation because teams like NCA and T and Towson and maybe Elon tend to have a lot more size and physicality than some other teams. So, Mm-hmm. How does how does that work when it's not just like concepts, but it's like, hey, we can outrun this team, or we're going to struggle rebounding when realistically NCA and T, and I think they had a six three forward on the bench injured as well. Like mm-hmm. they walk into the DAC and you're just like, wow, this this team's got a real advantage in size. But um, how do you game plan around those perceived weaknesses or disadvantages and things like? No one knows as much about rebounding as you. So how, how do you how do you go about? Um, I guess it's not something you ever had to worry about playing. But how do you how do you defend uh, a rebounder like yourself? Yeah, um, I think the reality is at the end of the day, no matter who we're playing, there's these things that are important. It's like toughness, rebounding, hustle plays, loose balls. So right now we're emphasizing that regardless because you're going to need those things to win, especially in March when everyone's obviously gunning for the same thing. So those are non-negotiables essentially at this point. Um, So there is a mega emphasis on that more than anything. Um, We just want them to grind it out, you know, grind out defensive possessions and figure out a way to get it done. Along those lines, I just a general question, like, is there a discussion this week of here's, here's things we need to improve on to, to go far this week. I, I was looking back at the last six games or so since, I think the Monmouth loss and the three point shooting has kind of dropped off a cliff. Um, it's been like way below average and Drexel realistically this year has not been shooting threes to where they were maybe years ago when they were more prolific. So is that a concern? Like we need to worry about it's not coming back or we just keep shooting our shot and getting our looks and they'll start falling, you know, regression to the mean or, uh, how do you game plan around a potential cold shooting night? I think um, for one, I really hope that doesn't happen, but in the event that it does, I think right now we're just trying to build them up to be as like comfortable and confident and 
like no sweat. I think last year, um, for those that were witnesses, like we we got to the championship, but we we were so tentative and so um, like beside ourselves. So we're just trying to make sure that the girls feel that there's no pressure, really. We just want you to be confident in what you do, what you've been doing all year. Um, so it's we, we're not really focusing statistically because I think that'll probably make it even worse if we point it out to them. You know, then you start to think about it. Then you're like, should I shoot this? And we just don't like nobody has time for that right now. So we're just trying to build them up as much as we can. There's only so many days and games left. In terms of, you know, getting them ready, keeping their confidence up in terms of expectations for the players that maybe are experiencing a conference tournament for the first time. Uh, the, the freshmen, of course, particularly uh, all rookie team selections, Kylie Lavelle, Grace and Neal. Big props to those two. Um, but how do you prepare a player who's never really been on that stage for that moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think the best thing about those two is no matter the day or what's on the line, they want to win. And they are by far, sorry to my other lovely ladies, the toughest players we have on our team. They are so unfazed. Their, their moods don't waver. Their effort never wavers. Um, you can't really tell when they're tired until their hands are in their head and they're gasping for air, you know, so they want to get it done. So there's, there, there's no need to motivate them or tell them what's at stake or because they're probably going to be your toughest too on any given night. Kishana is a phenomenal basketball player, but Grace, like that's, that doesn't eliminate her toughness, but Grace and Kylie are just any given day in practice. They're setting the tone in games, you know. If you if you piss Kylie off on the right day, she'll go off too. So, <laughs> that, is that typical for freshmen to be taking on such a leadership role? Um, not necessarily. I guess they were just ready to rise to the occasion. Of, of course, they had their struggles in the beginning, and Kylie got hurt, kind of took her out her rhythm. But um, I think competitive. You can't really teach someone how to be competitive, and those two just have that. We've been talking about it recently that Grace might be pound for pound. The, the best rebounder on the team, <laughs> um, you know, and, and Hannah Nihil was great at that too, for somebody mm-hmm. her size. I mean, just mm-hmm. how did she get the ball? And, and Grace seems to just have a nose for it. I mean, a lot of rebounding is things you were talking about. Toughness, you get in position, it's want to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, definitely interesting to hear that because it, it's things that we've noticed too, as obviously, uh, people just watching, but, uh, Definitely cool to see. Um, in terms of the forward rotation, there's really been four main forwards kind of in the rotation. Uh, Hedda, Kylie, Jasmine, Chloe. Is there a goal in terms of trying to distribute playing time? Is, is kind of it, is it, is the, is the overall ideal to kind of split it up so that everybody's playing an equal amount, keep everybody fresh? Is it matchup based? I did notice that uh, we saw a little bit less of Hedda against North Carolina A&T on Saturday. Um, is, is that, is it really just matchup based? Is it hot hand? Uh, is the overall goal just trying to spread out the minutes, not for fairness sake, but just to keep everybody um, involved, but also not overworked? Right. Um, I think, as we all know, it's not necessarily equal opportunity, but it definitely is based on what kind of night they're having. Um, like if Jazz is rebounding every single time down the floor, like it's hard for us to take her off. Or if Chloe's 
scoring and getting tips and deflections in the press or whatever it may be, or, or heads is finishing getting like layups at the rim. So it really depends on their production, but we definitely do need all of them. Um, they're in the rotation regardless, if that makes sense. But we're not like, hey, Chloe's been in there for a minute. Let's get Jazz and see what she's going to do. It's really just, you know, we kind of we kind of put them in according to their strengths. Um, but it definitely is performance-based decisions in terms of subbing in and out. You know, Jazz may be able to guard a screen that Hetta can't. So we'll leave Jazz in there. And and if um, Jazz and Chloe are a good combo in our zone, we'll leave those two in. So it's really, it's a lot of factors to it. And are they interchangeable in terms of like who's playing four, who's playing five, the four of them across? I mean, I know, you know, some may be a little bit more suited to one than the other, or is or do you guys not really kind of mark them down like that? Like you're a four, you're a five type of thing. Yeah, I think... They're all interchangeable except Chloe. We probably wouldn't have Chloe at our five. We would probably put her at the three before we put her at the five. But the other three, Hedta, Jasmine, and Kylie, could definitely swap. You had mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, you know Kylie. The injury kind of maybe taking or resulting in her needing to kind of get reacclimated after she came back. Uh, to us, I think it, it, it did seem that way, that, you know, it was kind of valuable time in the out of conference that she, that she missed. Um, do you think she's at this point, you know, back to, you know, or, or caught up for lack of a better word, if you would say that, you know, mm-hmm. it, there was a reacclimation period that was needed or were we totally off base? <laughs> no, there definitely was. She needed, it was just hard because it's your freshman year, which is the hardest year of your career. I think you could ask anyone in the country because you're learning and you're, and she hadn't gotten her zone down yet. And so she was out for six weeks at least. Um, so she just fell behind a little bit and got out of her rhythm. But I think for, right. I would definitely say she's back in full swing. Um, so we still do have to give her some breaks sometimes, but that's just for longevity purposes rather than anything else. Um, but she she's gotten used to that rhythm where like she's in practice, she's half court, she's full court. So um, I think that took her a second to adjust because she just wanted to play, 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 play. But we were like, you got to chill for a sec. Um, but I definitely do think she's back into rhythm, especially if somebody makes her mad. That's when she really goes off. So um, she definitely is back full swing, though, thankfully. That's great to hear. Um, I mean, and I feel like she burst onto the scene so quickly uh, that LaSalle game, I think, was the second game of the year. Um, and, you know, she had 31 or something like that. So, like, it, it was like, wow, this, this this is a freshman in her second game. This is going to be uh, – she's going to be a force. Uh, and obviously she turned out to be. But, you know, yeah, I, I think uh, after that early uh, burst, you know, the injury kind of – you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, when's she going to like be back to doing that again? And and it, it just it just took a little while. But I mean, I've, I've noticed it myself. I'm sure the other guys will agree uh, that, you know, she's definitely been uh, seeming a lot more comfortable um, out there, uh, which is great. Um, you brought up Kishana earlier, uh, unanimous player of the year, uh, first team all CAA again. Um not really much more that needs to be added on her. We've been singing her praises. She's Wonder Woman. She's superhuman. Um, the thing she's doing, tied for second now in the country, 27 points a game. It's ridiculous. Um, is fatigue ever something that you're concerned about uh, with her? Um, trying to 
make sure that she doesn't have too much of a burden on her, uh, especially when we get into a situation where we have to win three games in three days. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is that something that, you know, you worry about, you try to manage? Because I can't imagine that she's the type of player that would ever say, you know, I need to take a step back here. That just doesn't (laughs) seem like her. Uh, But, uh, you know, is it something that you need, you guys need to manage as a coaching staff where you need to like kind of sit her down for her own good and the good of the team just to give her a breather, even if it's only momentarily? Um, I think the reality with Kishana is that she shows up. Like big games, she shows up. Whatever game, she shows up. So I don't think, I'm trying to see how I would word this. She needs subs in general, sure, but I don't think we're going to prep to to rest her because I think that would be looking too far ahead, essentially. Um, I don't know if anyone watched the ACC last year. This is just a side note, but Jeff Walls went to rest his players in the ACC tournament, and Miami came back, and they lost. So, you know, you just can't prep for those moments. But at the end of the day, Kishana shows up, and I don't think and, – and secondly, this is her fifth year that she would have been in a position where she's playing – three games in a row. So it's not, it's not unfamiliar territory for her. Um, So I think it would be lovely to have game management with that. If we put ourselves in a position to do that. But other than that, you know, we'll give her regular subs like we wouldn't in a, in a, you know, in a regular season game. But other than that, I hope that answers your question. Just no, no game management. If if we don't have to, unless she gives a tug on her Jersey, we'll leave her in. Right, right. And, and no, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, if, if you take care of business in, you know, the quarterfinals and you're up big and you get a chance to give her a rest, that's, you know, you played yourself into that position, which makes total sense. Um, and it was something actually that while you were talking, it just kind of dawned on me. Two years ago, she did kind of put the team on her back with some performances against JMU in the semis against Delaware in the finals to to win those games. Uh, So, you know, not only is it not foreign just to have her play in it, but it's not also not foreign to kind of put the team on her back in some ways uh, in Mm -hmm. these moments. So it's something she's definitely used to that. That's for sure. I was wondering, um, there was a situation on last game, a, uh, I would consider an extremely questionable call on key her second foul which seemed to be clearly after a shot clock violation, but which landed her on the bench for an extended period of time. And it looked to me like as soon as she went to the bench, NCA and T's eyes lit up and they started pressing like crazy. Um, Is something like that? Like, well, we lost the game. That's never great, but that is good prep for when she is taking a breather. Um, I know Grace has been great but you have to assume come tournament time that a freshman point guard they're going to try they might try to hound I'm sure every every team would do that so mm-hmm. um, wh- I know when we play like these real tough physical games or even out of conference games like well that's good preparation because that's what you're going to see come tournament time right it's only going to get it's only going to get tougher and people are only going to try to exploit the situation mm-hmm. I think That was one of our biggest growths in that game specifically because that was the first time we – so they they ended up tying it, but that we regained the lead without her in the game. Like we didn't go – it's usually like – I mean, as we all know, it's no secret. It's usually like a minus 10 when she comes out the game, even if it's for a minute and a half. So we're like, you need to like chill so we can get you back in the game. But, um, 
yeah, that was like one of the first times that they stuck together. Nobody panicked. Um, Mara Hendrickson and Grace um, led the way. I think they scored a little bit more than than we wanted them to, but we did regain the lead going into the half without Key on for at least eight minutes. Um, so I think it was a major – as much as we didn't want that to happen, I think it was such a positive because um, it was the first time this whole year that that happened. And it's a good time for that to happen leading into what we're about to go into. I have 30 questions to follow up with, but I'll, I'll just try to keep it to two. But, I mean, it is, is kind of first half, two fouls. Is that a pretty hard rule? Within the staff, you're going to sit? So I guess the reality is the way they were calling the game, you just don't know if it's worth the risk. And sometimes she can be undisciplined. So her and Mara Hendrickson can do some silly things. Even if we tell them, hey, you need to be careful, they'll do it anyway. <laughs> it's my probably like a fifth-year mindset, whatever. Um, but it just wasn't – at that point, it wasn't worth the risk. And I and I think – and I'm not speaking for Amy, but this is just my perspective. It was just such a physical game. You just don't know what she was going to get caught up in. So what's, what was it really – what would it really be worth for us to have to sit her again in the second half? Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. And then I guess my other question, and this is a, a nerd in me coming out, but, you know, hypothetically, the more – right, like, the more you use somebody, the less efficient they're going to be, Right. And and the crazy thing with Kishana is that, you know, she's involved in every play, thereabouts, but she's the most efficient player in the conference still, which mm-hmm. feels like that should be impossible. Um, but, I mean, how – is it hard not to push for – could you even push for more from her? Or, or is there is there kind of like a golden area of, you know, how much you want her sharing the ball, how much – you know, is, is there a target each game or is it just kind of work within the flow? I think in the beginning of the year, it was definitely – she was still trying to find that balance. Like, okay, um, how often do I shoot the ball and how often do I share the ball, whatever. But I think also at the time, and they've all grown from this, her teammates wouldn't shoot the ball. And they were all staring at her like, Key, come get the ball back. So I think that definitely had to be a learning curve for everybody, including Kishana. Um, I think we can always get a feel when she's like, you know, either pushing forward or it's not – or her she's shooting out of rhythm. And then that's almost thought to call sets that would forcibly involve everyone. But I definitely think they have found the balance at this point, fortunately. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like I've seen some of those shots. You know what it happens, right? You know what it happens. It's, oh, for it's, sure. You know how it hits. When it hits off the, the backboard and then the rim, you're like, no, 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 no. This is, the heat has been checked. <laughs> uh, along the NCA and T lines, there, there were some unfortunate – turnovers at the end of the game given how physical it was and like you said it was a very physical game they were calling a ton of fouls and then seemed like Mara got mugged several times and like she's at midcourt with the ball and then all of a sudden there's a fast break and Mara's like splayed out on the ground it's like (laughs) she didn't get there on her own um the team's had an uptick in turnovers recently going back that last five six games so is that like a point of emphasis or do you, is that something you think about going in? Like sometimes turnovers are unforced, right? But sometimes it's, you know, someone's trying to make a great backdoor pass and it just doesn't work. So is it a huge concern or sometimes it's just turnovers are as a result of aggressive plays that also lead to easy baskets? We definitely do. We try to nip it in the butt and practice and, the thing with Mara, she's a phenomenal passer, 
but sometimes she wants to make those reads regardless, defender or no defender. So when it connects, you're like, holy bleep, like that was the craziest pass I've seen. But when it doesn't, you're like, literally, why would you throw that? So you just have to take the good with the bad, unfortunately. I think a lot of those were preventable. I think with the A&T game, if you had to write down on paper the worst case scenario that could happen in a minute and 15 seconds, that was everything that played out. So obviously we don't want to harp on it to beat a dead horse, but they obviously see the value in turnovers and, and what possessions can mean in a, in a tie game. So we, we do emphasize it. They run for turnovers after every practice. Um, so, you know, we, and, and we try to really teach them. It's not just harping on turnovers. It's teaching them what look to make, when, you know, stop putting your teammates in bad positions. Don't throw it here if there's two defenders, you know, stuff like that. So we try to make it teaching points rather than just being like, stop turning the ball over. So hopefully we learn our lessons from the regular season and especially the ANC game going uh, into this tournament. On the topic of turnovers, I've always kind of thought that like not all turnovers are created equal. Um, there's <laughs> some turnovers that you can live with. Um, you know, th- there's some that you kind of were talking about them earlier, the pass that is made and, and you say it doesn't work out and you're just like, Oh, that, why did you make that pass? There, there's the other turnovers where you're by yourself in the backcourt and you get your pocket picked and it leads to transition in the other direction. Um, or, you know, a situation where, you know, maybe you're trying to get back into the game in some ways, things are kind of spiraling a tiny bit. You're trying to you know, force the issue and then you get called for a charge. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're just a little out of control. I mean, is, is there kind of a, a situation there or, or a, a thinking among the staff? Like, okay, like, you know, these are the types of turnovers. We just cannot have these, like, particularly. Like, no turnover is a good turnover. But, you know, if you're passing it towards the basket and it gets picked, you know, along the baseline, that's different than, you know, fast break points the other direction. Mm -hmm. I think any kind of pick six turnover is a horrible turnover because you have no chance to recover. We're trailing the play the whole time, which happened twice in in A&T. And one was a foul. We, we, uh, I don't know if you guys know this. We send clips into the, to this um, lead ref, lead CAA ref. And we're kind of like, Hey, we thought this should have been a foul. And she agreed. So Mara did indeed get mugged. However, um, those are just, they just stink. And you know, some turnovers you're like, that stinks. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to get momentum or, you know, but Mara, I think the reality of it is, and same with Kishana, they're playmakers. And Kishana is a score playmaker, but Mara is a passing playmaker. So you kind of just have to take the good with the bad. I think the charges and stuff, and especially if 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 Mara does like three or two in a row, we're like, all right, sub. Or if Kishana's getting to the basket and and they get it, she gets a charge and she gets it, you know, we're like, all right, something has to change. So that's what kind of makes us shift as a staff. We're like, all right, this isn't working, but um, hopefully we can just turn the corner on that. And Grace too, Grace turns it over sometimes, so we try to limit all that stuff. One thing about Kylie that I noticed and. Maybe it was happening before her injury, but it wasn't something that stuck out stuck out to me. There were games, especially early on when she first came back, that you know, and you you explained it. You you know, her minutes weren't as high as maybe they were before, uh, getting her back into game shape or, or whatever. Um, while the minutes may not have been high, the shot attempts were certainly 
hot. Uh, <laughs> she seemed to be wanting to make the most out of those minutes, <laughs> however few they may be, 15, 16 minutes. Uh, but she was going to get her eight or nine shots in in that 15 or 15 minutes. Um, is that a her thing? Is it kind of a, you know, when you're, is it like kind of a directive? Like when you're in there, like get yours, you know, we want to see you be aggressive and attack, uh, you know, while you're kind of getting back, getting your feet wet again. Um, or is that just her mindset or did somebody piss her off? Like you said, <laughs> I think the, the great thing about Kylie is like, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And the reality is when she started off the year, those shots were going in. So when she returned, they were no longer going in, but there was no knowledge of her being like, okay. And not her, it wasn't her fault to be like, okay, that's not a good shot. That's not good for me to pull it at second 26 from the three, or that's not good, you know, for me to shoot a pull up in transition, whatever it may have been. But she definitely would come in with me for film. And I would just explain to her like, Hey, you can get this at a different second when you're more in rhythm, but she, she's an okay kid. Like where she's like, okay, I, I hear you. I understand. And she applies it the next play. So it definitely, it was just a learning curve thing. It's, again, she just didn't know what she didn't know. So they were going in the beginning of the year. She was still trying to get in her rhythm and was shooting as people do, as scorers do, you shoot yourself out of your rhythm. So you just shoot till it goes in. Um, but at some point they were just costing us possessions, but now she's back in flow. And I think she, I know she, she now gets it. I think she's turned the corner with that. The, uh, the future certainly looks bright with Grace and Kylie and amongst others. So um, hopefully they're uh, everyone's ready to, to rise to the, to the occasion this week. Um, do you, is there ever concern like Key's getting doubled on every possession. So, hey, if Kylie or Grace or Mara can, if you guys can make some shots, it'll keep this defense honest. And if they want to double key, you got to make them pay. And if you make them pay, maybe they won't double. Or um, it, it does seem sometimes that uh, key shooting out of double teams almost out of necessity because mm-hmm. shots aren't falling for everyone else. I, when Key's scoring half of the points, mm-hmm. it's it creates a situation where she's really carrying the load and probably feels like she has no choice. Yeah. I think that when Grace, Mara, Hetta, whoever it may be, Chloe and Kylie can give us at least six points. Like if Grace and Mara can add six, Kylie gets 10, Hetta adds four. It makes a, the world of difference. Um, and the funniest thing at the beginning of the year, the box score used to be like 42, one, one, two, <laughs> like 42, one point, two point, three point. But I think, and if they can get balance, balance amongst themselves, because obviously Kishana is going to be our scoring outlier as she should be, but within everybody else, just in like any kind of buckets, four to six points, it doesn't have, it's not like you have to be a double digit scorer, but when you are, we are that much better. And I think the past few games, they have reverted to their shells again just to be like key take the ball key take the ball key take the ball but key obviously needs help you can't really do anything on your own so we need people to be aggressive smart aggressive like within our system you know like if you have the ball at second four please shoot the ball don't look for key at second two where she has to chuck it you know so it's just everybody being ready to shoot within our system to contribute those points especially mara when mara can add points any kind of points, I think it's just such a bonus. When we had Amy on uh, right before the season started, maybe three weeks before, I had asked her a question about 
um, you know, who a player might be on this year's roster that was kind of kind of come out of their shell and blossom. Somebody that maybe uh, wasn't being counted on or looked at preseason by us fans as somebody who was going to be a big time contributor. And she gave gave us her answers. Um, but now that we're kind of at the end of the regular season, I'd like to ask you, um, is there a player or two that you want to highlight that, uh, you know, exceeded the expectations that you guys as a staff thought for her when the season started? Yeah, I think Chloe Hodges would be my vote. She, um, she started off and she come, she had, had like a burnt out summer. As we all know, she's from Australia. This was her first summer here because she got hurt. She came in December, her freshman year, and then she got hurt. So she just stayed home the whole summer into fall. So it was her first full summer. She was burnt out a little and you could see it on her. You know, you're kind of like, I won't say begging, but you're like pulling for her, like effort, 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 effort. You know, I don't, I don't want to keep asking you for effort and, um, come fall, it still was an issue. And we're just like, we don't know what's going on with this kid. And long comes to the story uh, moves on, whatever. Um, but I don't know if Amy told you this part, but anyway, Chloe ended up having an iron deficiency. So it all made sense as to why she was so exhausted. And thankfully we found this. So as soon as she started getting her iron, <laughs> she has to get um, transfusions. I'm telling you guys, the second she got her iron, we were like, holy bleep, who is this? And she just literally came to life. But again, at the time we did not know it wasn't in her control. So it didn't, we were like, we don't know what to do. Like she's tired. She can't move. And then she just started blossoming and then was came to life against William and Mary. I think it was at their place. I might be misspeaking, but she's been our X factor since. So I'm really happy with her progress. It was a struggle initially. Um, in the summer, I would say it was her mental. And then obviously in the fall, it was her physical, which was out of her control. And then now she's doing her thing. Yeah, she would definitely get my vote too. And um, I, now that you mentioned that, it, it almost makes sense too, because she did seem a little slow just on the court early on. And I haven't noticed that as, as, as much of an issue as the seasons worn on, which you'd think it would be the opposite after a 30 game season. Uh, but that is a very good explanation for why. Yeah. Yeah. She was alarmingly fatigued. It was, but that's why she got the help in the first place. Cause she was like, I'm so tired, but it doesn't really make sense because we have a strength and condition coach. She was doing extra. So you're kind of like, what's really going on? Like, are you all right? And fortunately we found out that information. So I was going to ask, is that something that the strength and the conditioning coaches would flag? Like they, they would say, Hey, maybe this is something that's going on or is it something that just happened? Doctor's appointment, something like that. And you guys found out or, yeah, it was um, – I think she told our athletic trainer. Okay. And our athletic trainer was like, all right, let's get some blood tests and all that good stuff. And then that's what the results came back. It was – they were concerned about how low her iron was. But obviously that makes sense. I mean, irons does a lot for our bodies. So fortunately we were able to – fortunately, I'm just really thankful that we were able to find that. So really thankful for our staff, our doctors that are supportive of all of us. So it was – I mean, I'm just really happy for Chloe that we could find out that there was an issue and it wasn't just her being like tired or lazy or, you know, but there was a solution to all this. Well, we don't want to keep you too long, but I guess uh, we'll try to get you out of here on this one. Um, it, what three things will this team do this weekend to end it by cutting down the nets? One rebound first and foremost, 
we have to. We have no choice. Two, we got to score the ball. We got to put the ball in the hoop, obviously, to win. Um, and then three, I would say not tactical. I think they need to just believe in their like believe just the like the grandscape of things. Like believe in our system. This is not me saying that they don't on a day to day, but I just think it all has to come together. Believe in each other and then believe in themselves because I think the teams that do it in March. Any team you point to, it's because they believe they can do it. They were just like, forget everybody else. We All we got is us. And then they take over from there. So although it's not tactical, I'm sure you wanted a tactical one. But I think those are probably the three most important things because they all work themselves out once everybody has the confidence this month. That's a good answer. I, I do have a follow-up there. It's just um, obviously you have two grad student seniors who um, – have never not been in the CAA championship with the exception of the year the championship was canceled. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that feed into confidence? How much is that, you know, how much is the rest of the team? The freshmen are obviously a key component of the team this year. They've never experienced it. So how much do the seniors, the upperclassmen experience affect the, the, the underclassmen? I think, I think it's a, a very good bonus. Um, I think they really need to, Obviously, your freshman year, I think it's so long ago for everybody, not to comment on people's ages, but, you know, it it is so long ago and you just forget what that feels like. So as long as those two lead the way and they're they the team goes as they go, no matter the day. Um, So that's good and bad, but hopefully that'll be good going into the tournament. I think if they really hone in and and tell them, hey, it's, it's just a game one by one, you know, day by day, brick by brick. Really, that's all we have. So. They obviously have the experience, and I think that's a huge advantage. Um, and I think they just need to lead their teammates with that. All right. Uh, I appreciate you pointing that out. I think this is the first podcast we've had where I'm the oldest person on the call. So it's a good feeling. Um, <laughs> but, Sorry. Uh, no, it's uh, a freshman year was a great 22 years ago. Um, <laughs> right, right around the corner. It feels like yesterday. Um, no, we're going we're gonna to be silly here. We're going to make some predictions. And if I've learned something over the years, it's that asking a coach to make predictions – uh, the dentist is preferable. So I will, uh, I'll let you out of the hook there. We'll talk about lots of fun, but thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing this with us and getting us ready for a big weekend. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. You all know I'm a man about town, whether it's biking down JFK Boulevard, driving over to my local supermarket or hopping Amtrak to New York or DC. I get where I'm going comfortably and on time, but life is about balance. How do I appreciate that timeliness, cleanliness, and efficiency if I don't experience life without it? And that is why for my commute, I choose SEPTA. Whether it's the clear fragrance of urine on the L, the buses that truly believe that those red lights are for other people, or the random scheduling of regional rail, SEPTA usually eventually gets me where I need to go. And SEPTA helps me appreciate all the other ways that I get around. So this year, give the gift of appreciation to your loved ones and consider a SEPTA Transpass for your friends and family. And with that, we'll turn our, our eyes to the tournament this weekend. Um, Bill, Anthony, and I are going to make some predict- predictions here. Just a reminder, Drexel is, uh, as a co-champion, they are they drew the two seed. The, the tournament will be down at Towson. Um, so they will kick off then Friday night at 5 o'clock. Um, and then the other time slots will be at 4.30 and 2 on Sunday. Should they make it that far? The CA championship on the women's side this year will air on CBS Sports Network nationally. So that'll be nice um, for the two teams that get there. 
let's figure out what those teams do. Well, let's throw some darts and figure out what two teams will be there. Bill, why don't you kick us off? Uh, uh, I guess uh, we, we did this good, bad, and ugly styling on the broadcast, and we haven't done that yet here. But tell me uh, the good, um, who wins the title? The bad will be if you have Drexel losing where. This will be fun. This will be short. And the ugly can be something ridiculous. So give us your good, bad, and ugly, Bill. All right. Well, I mean, there's so much parity in the conference. I, I think realistically, one through six, especially one through four with having the bye, it's kind of a toss-up. Talzin's going to be tough. They're the one seed. They're at home. Um, but you know, I would never bet against Drexel women's basketball, so I'm not going to now. Um uh, I never actually believe they're going to lose a game until they have. Like, whereas the men, I'm like, all right, how are they going to blow this thirty point lead? If the women are down thirty, I'm like, ah, they're they're coming back. So, um, I'm I'll take the women to cut down the nets. We have the best player. We have the best coach. Um, just got to rise to the occasion. Just need just need uh, just need those other players along with Key to 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 chip in like. Like Jillian said, um, so yeah, I I have Drexel going the whole way. I I think realistically they're playing Towson in the championship. So if that's the case, we get to Sunday. You know, they're going to need the support. They deserve the support. Towson's going to pack the house. So we got to get as many people down there as we can to to support them. Um, Dan, I know you alluded to this, like the women can't do anything more than they've done since Denise got here. All they do is win. And while they, they draw well, they do not draw well in terms of the people listening to this podcast, the people that are really dedicated to men's basketball. So um, they deserve the support they always have. So let's show it to them. I would say Um, in terms of the ugly, um, probably the game tomorrow, (laughs) uh, can't imagine Hofstra UNCW is going to be a, a, a thriller, but um, I, I think there's going to be. I would I would be surprised if the top four seeds are in the in the semifinal. So I guess I'll say that um, NCA and T is really good. Um, they could knock off William and Mary. Um, Stony Brook's really talented. They could b- knock off Northeastern. So. Um, I won't touch. I won't touch our game, but um, there's way too much parity for any for any team in the conference to feel confident that they're running the table. Someone's going to, but no one, no one should be confident that it's going to be them. All right, Anthony, batter up. Good, bad, and ugly. What do you see for this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I I can't really do anything but echo Bill. There, I, I have to roll with us uh, in this one. I mean, there's certainly things that, you know, give you a bit of pause, like Bill said, Towson's at home. Um, You know, we split with the other three teams that have buys uh, this year. Um, So it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that um, an upset could happen, but I, I, you know, I can't in good conscience not go – uh, with with Drexel, um, I would probably say that just like Bill, uh, Towson would be the team that I would see us meeting in the final. Um, 
And it's and Bill actually brought it up because I was going to kind of ask, you know, do you see a chalk semifinal or do you see somebody sneaking in there? Um, you know, I, I could see A&T, Stony Brook or both uh, crashing the party uh, in, in the semifinals. Um, but, uh, I mean, ugly's tough. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, Bill took the, the pillow fight tomorrow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I may just kick the can down the road on, on ugly <laughs> on this one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, just a random question, food for thought question. I throw out there between, North Carolina A&T and Stony Brook, do either of you think one is more likely than the other? Or dare I say, you think it's more likely, period, that either of them is going to uh, get into the semis? Oh, I mean, I think that NC A&T is the more likely of, well, of the two. Um, but it's a tough draw. I, I think Northeastern, I was going to talk about this, but I think Northeastern is a really tough out right now. They're hot. Um, Stony Brook, Stony Brook's a quality. I mean, that's the thing is that that line cuts off pretty hard in the top six. Right? Those top six teams are all honestly potential tournament winners. Um, seven is Palmouth, and, and I don't. I think that's probably where I'd cut it off. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be. There's some good teams. Maybe there's no great team, and that's part of the problem too. But there's some good teams. Yeah, for for those who haven't followed the women's side of things. I mean, the conference has been so good for so long, but some of these teams, NCA and T and Stony Brook, the couple of newcomers, they have, they have power five size. It's, it it, it is crazy. Um, And it gives, it gives them that advantage that, you know, it, it makes it more difficult for teams. If you can be out rebounded or out muscled that easily, I, I think William and Mary is a real wild card because they're played so differently than NCA and T again, assuming NCA and T's there and they don't get upset by whoever wins tomorrow. But I think that's a long shot. William and Mary has two like ridiculous shooters who killed us um, down there. So if they hit their shots, William and Mary could beat anyone. Um, their point guard, whose name escapes me, I, I mean, she can shoot from midcourt. So um, when you can shoot that way and there's no way to defend that very well, um, that's a that's an X factor. It, it, it makes it it makes it possible they could run the table or it makes it possible they could not show up at all in the four or five game. So um, I, I think William and Mary has the highest variance of potential outcomes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think Riley Casey, you know, should scare a coach who comes away. She actually won scholar athlete of the year today. We should mention, yeah, player of the year was, was unanimously Kishana. And then both freshmen we've talked about frequently in the podcast, won rookie of the year uh, with, with Kylie and grace. So Jux will pick up some awards, although maybe fewer than one might expect. Um, but it feels about right to me. Actually, I think they, they did about right. Um, and that the future looks pretty bright. Um, yeah, I think the the uh, Kylie getting hurt didn't help her cause, but I think the the Elon freshman averaged a double double or close to it. So that's uh, that's going to be really tough for a freshman to match, especially one who's got a thirty point scorer on their team. 
Well, thing we're gonna have to talk to uh, Amy about in the offseason. I see Sydney Wagner, second team All CAA, is from Phoenixville. Um, why she would go to a safety school like William and Mary when Drexel's around the corner? Um, I, I, it's it's concerning. It's concerning. So we'll have to talk about that. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll rip off mine real fast. And yeah, I think um, I, I've got and be good. Who's gonna win it all? Note the long pause. Um, we'll probably edit that out for time. But uh, the, it was a long pause, I promise. I'm really torn between Drexel and Towson. I, I do. I think Towson, they already beat us down there once um, and, and, and whatnot. I don't think we played our best basketball down the stretch. But uh, I also think that at the same time, we've, we've got players individually who have started to perform better. And, and that could be key as we get things together. So... Um, Give me, uh, give me the dragons, but it's 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 tight, it's close. Um, my, which means the dragons don't lose, which is my bad. The ugly, um, see, I'm going to go the opposite of that 12-13 game. Although Tina Martin goes down to Wilmington, and they are still the 13th seed. Uh, it's going to take some time because they were that bad. I mean, they really were historically bad. But um, yeah, that's that's a Wilmington, that's an athletics department. You just have to wonder how dedicated they are to women's basketball at some point. Um, should be able to recruit. The men's team is up and down, but usually at least competitive and has the resources to do it. Um, so whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what Tina Martin has ever shown outside of having the best player in conference. Fall in her lap. Fall in her lap. Yep. And did not like. I have no idea why they would make her. And they made her the interim coach. What in like Feb- February or something? Like yeah. I have some questions about the leadership of the of that school. Uh, Jimmy Bass, the, the then there is retiring, um, but I think boosters have been running that asylum for anyway. Um, so, uh, but the two games I'm, I'm really intrigued by early on: A uh, and T and William and Mary. I think we hit that one already. And Stony Brook Northeastern. No, listen, Northeastern's won eight straight, including at the deck. Like they are not; they're not good right now. They're kind of on fire. Um, Stony Brook. They've only played them once. It was a three point game. Stony Brook can give them a game. I don't know if we're huge Stony Brook fans that day, but I think we probably are. Um, we've beaten Stony Brook twice, um, and, and although it was early in the season. But that that's really a game to watch. I'm sure, obviously, the coaches will be scouting. I, I think I'm pulling for Stony Brook there, but two really quality teams that the Dragons are going to face in the semis should they get there. Drexel should beat Mount for Charleston. Um, and then, you know, hopefully set up a Sunday game. But, um, yeah, there should, be a, should have been a rule here. Kishana... Mora, fifth year. Uh, this will be their fourth attempt to make the CA title game. They, they're, they've three for their first three, uh, with the only, only other year being the COVID year where it was canceled, and they were the one seed that year. So this is the class we're talking about. This is the class of the league. This is the team that's had a target on its back all season long. You know, we got that record, but they did it by taking everybody's best shot all year long. Um, but – Sometimes you just got to take the best player on the best team. So let's go. Let's hope we've got that. And let's uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you guys down there this weekend. So Towson, Maryland, Bill Bateman's for wings. Highly recommended. And uh, hop on over to it's a good arena. It's an easy arena. Tickets will be available. Super easy venue. Good venue. Quality venue in the CAA. Come on out. Cheer on and support the ladies who more than deserve it. Um, So for Bill, for Anthony. And uh, thanks again to Jillian Dunst for her time. Uh, We'll see you all down there. Good luck and go Dragons.